So here's where we're going to go. Here's where we're going to go. Uh, if you've got your bulletin outline, a pen, I, I would highly encourage you to take notes. But we're going to be looking at Thessalonians, okay? Thessalonians. And I'm only going to take one uh, chapter out of Thessalonians, one piece today, and kind of build on that. We've been doing a variety of things as we work through what we call these 66 love letters starting in Genesis. Now we find ourselves all the way here in Thessalonians. Next week we'll deal with the pastoral epistles of Timothy and Titus. It's been a great journey. <clears throat> if you missed any of them, please get online at thecrossloganville.org and check them out. Now, where we're going to go today is just kind of looking at, uh, at church, if you will. Church. And how we go about kind of measuring and weighing uh, success and failure in church. Now, that being said, for us, for us as a church, our mission, our mission, what we're aiming for as a church is we want to see uh, every person here connected with Christ and others. So we say that we're here to connect your story with Jesus Christ and other people. And so we want to see every person fully alive in Christ, every person vibrant and growing, but we want to see you involved in small group and connectivity with others. Our vision is over the next five years, we desire to see 1,500 new disciples of Christ raised up. We desire to see 1,500 new converts and, and people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. We'll baptize another four or five in the second service today, but our desire is to see new people, lost people, come to faith in Christ. Now, some of the things we value and we encourage our people to get engaged with is Sunday morning worship. We think Sunday worship is huge. Uh, that hour and a half on Sunday where you can worship in spirit and in truth, uh, song celebration with others, uh, getting, and getting involved in community, we, we, it's like that, that's huge. We value small groups. Uh, we value serving. Uh, we value... I mean, we value really seeing you uh, live a life of generosity. And so when you start to look at well, what are you about? We're about reaching, teaching, training, sending, and we're about seeing movement, the A, B, C, D, E thing uh, over there on the sun. So that's who we are as a church. Now, many of us have pondered this question, and I invite you to do so today. What does a healthy church look like? What, what does a healthy church look like? How do you measure success in a church? How do you measure it? And what are the key ingredients that you look for in a healthy church or a successful church? You ever ask that question? Well, what, what, what should it look like? Now, next week, as I said, we're going to dive into Titus and Timothy and look at the responsibilities and call for those who lead churches. But what does a healthy church look like? I mean, Greg, we toyed with this question over the years. And for a lot of people, their measuring rod would be attendance, or it would be baptism, it would be image, it would be facilities, it would be pastoral staff, it would be how cool is the band, it would be cash flow. How do you measure it? What defines success and failure inside of a church? What is God's call for the local church? What, 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 what is success for us here? A simple definition of success is having wisdom and skill to do life in such a way that you honor God. When a person says, I want to be successful, from a biblical standpoint, if that's what we say, Chase, I want to be successful, 
What you're saying from a biblical standpoint is, I want to have wisdom and skill from God to do life in such a way that brings glory and honor to him. That's success, coach. That's what God has called us to live by. Now, take notes and dive into this thought process with me today. Because 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, Paul kind of lays out success and failure. Starting in verse 1, he says, you know, our coming to you was not a failure. Some translations in ASB, our coming to you was not in vain. It was not a worthless time in Thessalonica with you. Our, our coming to you was not a failure. It was purposeful. Though we had already suffered and been shamefully mistreated over in Philippi, we, we came to you and we had the boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel in the midst of much conflict. For our preaching proclamation appeal to you does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive you. But just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. We never came with words of flattery, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or even from others. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mom taking care of her own children. And we loved you so much, we shared with you not only God's gospel, the good news, but we shared with you our very lives. Now, please ponder this. Please ponder this. Because Paul basically lays out how to measure success and failure from a ministry standpoint. What is success in God's eyes? What would be successful for a local church? What would be failure? Now, verse 2, he says, you know how we were mistreated over in Philippi. If you go back and look at Acts chapter 16, Paul is desiring to take the gospel to Asia. But the Holy Spirit stops him and prevents him from doing so. And Paul gets this revelation, this vision, that he's supposed to go to Macedonia. And so while he's en route in this travel, he spends some time in Philippi. Now, now there, there, there's some ministry that happens, but there's also this witchcraft stuff going on. Paul rebukes some things. The people get mad at Paul because he starts disrupting some of the way people are making profit in that day, and all of a sudden, they're shamefully mistreated. Acts chapter 16, 22 through 24, listen to this. A mob formed against Paul and Silas. The city officials ordered them to be stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer put them in the inner dungeon. Paul goes, there, there was some fruitful ministry over in Philippi, and, and we just covered the book of Philippians a few weeks ago, and guys, I'm telling you, I got joy when I think of you, but do you, we were beaten for sharing the gospel. Y'all know how we were treated over in Philippi? Yes, we, we know how you were treated. And I think the fallacy of reasoning for us is that we think if God places a calling on our lives... And we're to represent God to the world. Well, God's put this calling on my life. I'm supposed to take the gospel to the people at work. Or I'm supposed to take the gospel to the locker room. Or I'm supposed to take the gospel to the law enforcement world. Or I'm supposed... I'm doing what God 
told me to do, undoubtedly it's going to be pretty smooth. People are going to rejoice and really like me, right? No. No. And I think Paul lays it out to the believers in Thessalonica. You know how we were treated? Now, let me, let me talk to you about success and failure because we did not empower the mistreatment that we had. And some of us tuck our tails and run when things get a little too tough. If you cannot handle persecution, you cannot be in ministry. You can't. I made the observation last week that I believe many more people would probably lay it on the line if they could be promised a a Judas-free ministry, meaning God's going to take all the Judases away. You're not going to be betrayed. You're not going to be attacked. You're not going to be persecuted. It's not the way it is. If anything, when you come to faith in Christ, you're signing up to be in the minority. You're signing up to become a chosen instrument of rejection. Now, verse 1. Our coming to you was not a failure. Failure happens, I believe, in ministry. And there's some even today with big names and big churches or whatever, to me, that are failing, Kenny. I, I do believe this. Failure happens when we conclude, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? What can I get out of it? And Paul lays out this reasoning in 1 Thessalonians 2. Listen to what he says in verse 3. Our preaching does not spring from error, impurity, or deception. Our our preaching and our appeal when we come, I, I can tell you it doesn't spring from error. It doesn't spring from impurity or deception. All right, Neil, check it out. Three things, three things. Listen to our message. Look at our manner of life. Watch the methodologies of how we do things. So Paul uses this phrase. Our preaching was not in error, meaning we did not wander away from truth. We did not wander away from what was right. We did not negotiate. We didn't preach error. He goes, look at our message. It was true. You've listened to us. It's true. We don't a la carte, cut and paste. It's true. We, we bring the text within the context. We bring, he goes, check out our manner of life. He goes, uh, it was not impure, which means we were not personally infected with sin or we were not living sexually immoral. That was the word used there for impure, meaning did you see any sexual immorality or sexual stain or misconduct or infection in our lives? Because no, it's not, it's not anything you've dictated. Because that would be a failure. That would, that would be a failure. He goes, uh, check out our methodology. He goes, our message does not spring from deception, which means to bait and switch, which means to lure, which means to entice you to get away from, listen, foundational truth. And, and, and he says, you, you've checked us out. Our our methods were authentic. Because if we would have used error, impurity, or deception, that that would have been a failure. And one of the things that we know is true here at the cross is that we invite people to examine our message, our manner of life, 
and our methodology. Check us out. We are accountable. We're transparent. You want to know what we're teaching? We'll, we'll share with you. We'll break it down. So we believe that the world is desperately starving for biblical truth. Even Matt's wife, we were talking earlier. It's like our, our, our culture doesn't need a watered-down Jesus. We don't, we don't need a watered-down gospel. So, Nick, we invite. You, you, you want to see our message? Okay, here's, here's what we teach. Check out our manner of life. Okay. And I believe if we're going to be used by God, we've got to be willing to put ourselves under that microscope and, and say, check, us, check it out. You, you can look at us and examine who we are. Mike Iaconelli, I read a lot of this guy's stuff back in the mid and late 90s. He is co-founder of a ministry called Youth Specialties. He said this in 1995. He, he was killed in a car wreck in the early 2000s, as Mike was. But he made this observation, and Nick and I were talking about this the other day, in 1995, 23 years ago. Listen to what he said. Mix a good dosage of ego addiction with Jesus, and the consequences are frightening. It causes ministers to build huge churches as a monument to their own personal ego. It causes people to go on television with their unique ministry, which is another term for my ministry. It causes people to write books, speak all over the world, abandon their families and loved ones so that they can respond to the great need of their addiction, which is the need to be needed. Think of all the churches that are currently supporting the egos of their ministers. Many evangelical churches today are known more for their pastor than they are for Jesus. I would encourage you to go back and ponder some of Mike Iaconale. He's written quite a few books, and he's, he's a stimulating guy. But as I read that, it was a sobering reminder for me again that that would be a failure. That that would be a failure on so many fronts. And Paul says, you know our coming to you and hanging out with you is not a failure. He says in verse 4, our purpose is not to please people. That, that would be a failure. Galatians 1.10, am I seeking the approval of man or the approval of God? If I was seeking man's approval, I couldn't be God's servant. See, people pleasing, he said, would be a failure. Compromising would be a failure. It's been said that the quest for peace or the quest for just trying to get along with others often leads to negotiated slaying truth. And some people are willing to slay truth for the sake of, well, let's just get along. You can't. T tell the same story. Be consistent. Mark Twain said, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. And I'm like, all right, let's, let's tell the truth. Paul wrote to Timothy, and I'm telling you right now, I'm telling you right now, we deal with this even in our church today. I promise you, I'm dealing with this with certain people. 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. The time is coming. Now, now this is Paul writing to Timothy some 2,000 years ago. Timothy's pastoring over in Ephesus. Timothy, the time is coming when people will no longer listen to truthful teaching. 
They will follow their own desires. They will look for teachers who will tell them whatever they want to hear. They will reject the truth. The time is coming. You deal with that today? Yeah. Because here's the mindset with so many people that just kind of float in and drift in and out. Consumer mindset. Nick, we've talked about this. Because you didn't give me what I wanted, I'll take my business somewhere else. And I'm telling you, people will attack you. They will minimize you. They will betray you. If you lovingly share even truth, at times people will get mad. Who are you to tell me what to do? I'm just a mailman. I'm just delivering the mail. Sorry, you don't want to hear it? It's for you. As I've studied over the years, I'm like, So you're not trying to just please me? No, it's not about you. It's about the holiness of God. It's about the character of God. It's about honoring God. And some people do not want to honor God at all. A tree will be known by its fruit. Watch them. What kind of fruit is being produced by your life? So he says, listen, listen. That would be a failure. People that have a people-pleasing ministry are failing. Paul said that, that would be a failure. And then he, listen to this right here, verse 5. We never came with words of flattery. Well, that's flattery. That means to applaud another person with motives of self-interest for you. Flattery is when I would say something to you that I would never say behind your back and flattery. Gossip is when I say something behind your back I'd never say to your face. That's cowardly. And he's saying, listen, listen, we, we didn't come with words of flattery. We, we wasn't just trying to stroke you and, and didn't mean it. It, we, we, it wasn't us. And I think we have to evaluate where we're at today as a church. Paul goes, you realize if, if that's the way you do things, that, that's a failure? That, but just failure. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1, Paul says, When I came to you, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom. Even when I was proclaiming to you the testimony of God, I, I didn't come. I, I, I didn't come just in a showy way. That's where he says, who is Cephas and who is Paul, Apollos and all these other guys? We're just servants of Christ. We, we didn't come trying to impress you. We didn't come with flattery. That, that, that would be wrong. And there's people at times that slide in here and, you, oh, that's the best sermon I ever heard in my life today, Pastor. Man, I got such a check in my spirit before you say anything else. I don't need your flattery. Now, if you've been hanging around for a while and we've been walking together and you speak a word of encouragement, thank you, praise the Lord. But people that come in right away and just try to butter me up and you've got some that's done that to you, watch out. 
Because if you've got a need to be needed, those kind of people will stroke your ego. Paul goes, that would have been a failure. He goes, we never came with a pretext of greed, verse 5. We were not pretending to be your friends just so that you would give us money. That would have been a failure. If the only reason we're being kind to you so you would write a check, that's jacked up. And I was in a parachurch ministry for over 20 years. And it was such a sensitive thing going, I, I, I've got to make sure they get to know who we are before we can share with them the vision and ministry that we're a part of. And I'm talking about some, it was years. Why? You're just trying to get to know us so that we'll write you a check? When I was in college, back in the early 80s, the great theologian Hank Williams Jr. came out with a song that said, now there are some preachers on TV with a suit and a tie and a vest. And they want you to send your money to the Lord, but they give you their address because all of your donations are completely tax-free God bless you all, but most of all, send your money. Just send your money, baby. Send it. And there is manipulation tactics that are used by certain people in ministry. And Paul goes, that's a failure. It was happening in his day, and it's happening now. You just tried to get close to us so that we would write you a check. That, that's a failure. That's a foul. It's all in the text right here. You don't even have to make it up. And then he says, we did not seek glory from people. He says, as for praise, we never asked for it from any of you. Because here's what we believe at the Cross Loganville. Here's what our staff believes. Here, here's what we believe. If people like you, you can get their attention. But if people trust you, you get their action. And trust is not established overnight. Trust is not quickly given. Amanda, you and I were talking about that even in this realm earlier. It's like trust. Amanda comes to faith, and Amanda is like really wanting to grow. And Jeremy, who's now one of our, our, our best buddies, is checking it out. What is this? I don't know. Suspicious, checking it out. And then all of a sudden I told her this morning, I'm like, your husband trusts me. He trusts Neil. There's guys that he walks with. There, there's a few others, but I'm like, he does. If I like you, I'll give you my attention. If I trust you, I'll give you my action. And Paul goes, you, you realize that would have been a failure if we would have just come in and tried to get you to applaud us and give us glory, that would have been a failure. So, so, so I would highly encourage you, Chris, to comb through this because there's so many churches and so many ministries out there. How, how do I measure success and failure? Paul goes, I, I got it right here. It's canonized in the word. You, you don't even have to look for it. It's here. Now, success happens when we have an attitude of it's all about Jesus. He says in verse 2, God gave us the courage to declare the gospel. God gave us the courage to 
declare the gospel boldly. We, we were bold. The gospel, the good news. You're a chosen instrument. I'm going to use it. You're going to suffer, but you're, you're going to declare with boldness the gospel. I was like, how would you define bold? And I got, that guy's bold. Boldness is confidence in God. It's the courage to act or to speak despite danger. There, there's some danger here. I could be rejected. I could be attacked. It's taking action regardless of the risk. Got confidence in God. It's going to be a little uncomfortable. I didn't, I didn't say be rude. I didn't say be condescending. Boldness is our willingness to do the right thing at the right time, regardless of the opposition or the fear that we may encounter. You got to be bold right here. What are you afraid of? Now, now if, if you're wanting their approval and if you're wanting their praise, then you're going to shut up and not say anything because you, you, need their, you need their approval rating, Right? But if you can really be my ambassador, I'm asking you to speak truth right now. Speak truth in love. And my friend Tom, I can tell you, certain conversations of speaking the truth in love grew us closer together because he valued saying, thank you. Thank you for telling me the truth. Thank you for loving me enough to tell me the, the truth. And Paul, if we love people, love is doing that which is most redemptive for the other person. That's right. Boldness. Listen to what he says in verse 4. We speak as messengers who have been approved by God. God sent us. God sent us to do this work. We've been approved by God. M meaning we've gone through tests and fires and different things. And God looks and he's like, your character is reliable. You stayed with it. We've been approved by God. We were not looking for man's approval. We were looking for God's. And God sent us to do this work right here, this special assignment. And, and, and we weathered the storms. We weathered jail time. We, we weathered people beating us. And we, we, we weathered it. You did? Yeah. He said, that's a success. Speaking boldly in the midst of opposition he goes that that was successful right and then he says our motives are to please God he examines the motives of our heart he examines and the word examine and the word test are very similar when you study the Greek of the New Testament and it was the portrait of the silversmith taking the silver over this heated intense fire and burning all the dross and impurities off the silver he, he, he's got to take it through this purification process. And uh, uh, we've got to get this pure silver here. And they would ask a silversmith, it's like, all right, so how do you know when it's been in the fire long enough? And how do you know when the impurities and dross, how do you know when it's been thoroughly examined? And he said, because I can look in and see my reflection and image. And God will leave you in the fire at times to burn off the dross, to burn off the impurities, 
so that when he looks down at you in the midst of the fire that he's allowing you to go through, he goes, I can take you out now because I see my image and not yours. And a lot of us want to be removed from the heat. Paul goes, God examines our why. And, and you know, because God has examined, tested through flames our why, and that, that's a success. You, you know, if your why is jacked up, no matter how, what you do or even how you do it, if your why is wrong, that, 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 that's a failure. But if your why is right, that, that, that's good. And Greg, we know our why before God. God has to take us to those places of saying, examine your why. Why are you doing what you're doing right now? Paul goes, that, 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 that's, that's a success because that's about Jesus. He says in verse 7, we, we were gentle. That's the reason Peter would write in 1 Peter 3.15, sanctify Jesus Christ as Lord in your life. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have within you, but do it with gentleness toward others and reverence toward God. Be gentle. or Stay with it. And there's that tension of boldness and gentleness. Tenderness. That's what he goes on to say. We loved you and we gave you not only the gospel, but we did life on life with you. We just didn't come in and preach a message and and hit the road, we sat down and did life together. We, we broke bread. We invited you into our house. We, we loved on you. It, it would have been a lot easier just to kind of give you the gospel and high five you on a Sunday and good to see you. But see, our model here at the Cross Loganville is true life is not done in rows. It's done in circles when you're sitting around and getting to know each other. We, we broke bread together. We gave you our lives. You, you knew who we were. That's right. And so we believe that truth plus transparency plus time will lead to trust. Just share the truth. Kevin, this is crucial. Keep showing up every day. Tell them the truth. Now be transparent. When you share your own failures and mistakes, people identify with you, brother. Yes. It's going to take time. But then they'll start to trust you. They can identify. And they're like, he's being examined. So success, wisdom, and skill to do life in such a way that honors God. Success is having those closest to me love me and respect me the most. Here's my close. Comb through it. I, I, I want to be a part of a healthy church. I want to be a part of a church that God says that, that's success in my eyes. Yes, that's what I want to be a part of. So success was, be, was in being faithful to God. He, he's faithful. She's faithful. Paul says we faithfully obeyed God in spite of op opposition. That's success. We faithfully spoke the message that God entrusted to us. That's successful. That's, that's good. 
We faithfully trusted the Lord to provide for us. That's good. Yeah. We faithfully sought the Lord's praise and not man's. That's good. Success is not in the lack of opposition. Success is not having to be liked by all people. Success is not about getting rich. I mean, even what is rich anyway? I mean, us in the United States live in probably the 98th percentile of the wealthiest people in the world. We're, we're, we're rich. Success was our motives being right for the glory of God. You want to be successful in life? Surrender it all to the king and allow Christ to become your master and authority. Don't be afraid to stand up and count the cost every day for the glory of Christ. I invite you to brokenness and surrender. I invite you to die to you and ask Christ to totally take over and be Lord, master, ruler, and authority.